Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today. I want to give a very warm welcome to Eric Colbert. Eric is the COO and partner of Spark6, a creative agency that specializes in leveraging technology to help drive business goals by designing and building websites, mobile apps, and custom enterprise software. And he's worked with companies ranging from Sesame Street, the Getty Foundation, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, among many others. Today, Eric is going to be sharing his expertise on user experience and visual design for client websites and e-commerce platforms and the future of technology and how it can help our world. Eric's also going to share more details about his own app that he's developing, Vouchvault, and the steps business owners need to keep in mind when developing their own apps, too. We'll learn what works from Eric's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses just miss the mark. Eric, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thank you, Stacy. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. Well, love that you, you know, you and I chatted before, and there was yeah. lots of things that you said that, you know, made me realize that our listeners could get massive, tremendous value from you. And what I'd well. love to do <laughs> is have you start off by sharing, you know, what got you to here today? where you're doing technology and app building and websites, and you're really helping drive how people see businesses. Yeah, well, it's definitely hasn't been a, a linear uh, adventure to get here. So, you know, my, my background actually back in, uh, in college was in psychology, um, where I studied at UCLA. And, you know, I graduated from there and, and made my parents incredibly proud by uh, working at Tower Records right after that. So that that dates me a little bit. Maybe some of your listeners don't know what Tower Records is, but uh, hopefully they do. Because um, I got into the music industry. Um, yeah. I was a, a performer in, in a band and got to travel all over the country. And I needed a, you know, a job that afforded me that kind of flexibility. And I was in music, so it kind of made sense. Um, so, you know, kind of after, you know, pursuing music for several years and, you know, kind of getting my taste of what that is like and kind of being on the road, I realized that really wasn't for me and decided to kind of go back to school and work on my master's and, you know, then shortly thereafter started a family. So, you know, um, you know, being in uh, an entrepreneur or being, you know, in business was never really anything that was on my roadmap. I actually had planned on staying in, in academia and, and being a professor and all that stuff. Uh, but I, you know, as a, as a new dad and looking at the, uh, the bills that are associated with being a, a parent mm -hmm. and living in Southern California, and I was looking at that kind of trajectory of, of being a professor and how long it would take me to actually make any decent money. I was like, oh my goodness, that's going to be a while. Um, so one of the seven jobs that I was working at while I was working on my master's um, was in CD and DVD uh, replication um, when that was actually a thing as well, which is uh a thing of the past, um, but it kind of got me into business. You know, of, I was in, uh, I was an account manager and uh, the owner of the company, unbeknownst to me, was kind of grooming me for sales and, you know, the biz dev world. And uh, so I just transitioned from, you know, that CD and DVD place to a, a larger print and packaging company. And then I ended up having my own company um, that was involved in global sourcing and manufacturing. So we had offices uh, in Brazil and in China and uh, 
here in the U.S. as well. So, um, yeah, after I finished that uh, kind of venture where my, my entity was absorbed by a parent company, I, I really wanted something that was impactful. You know, I was helping businesses um, in that previous life, more on the manufacturing, you know, and making products and goods, but I definitely didn't really feel like I was saving the whales. Um, and I wanted to get something that was a little bit more meaningful. Um, so obviously technology was touching all aspects of our life, whether we, whether we wanted to or not. Um, and so a great opportunity to, you know, do do good with technology and spark six was, you know, at that time about five years old and came in and became one of the partners over there. That's awesome. And so now you are not saving whales, but you're helping save the companies. We are. Yeah. So, you know, part of our, our mantra is, is you know, leveraging technology for, you know, the reduction of, of suffering and to help mankind. So yeah, we, we look for opportunities, um, you know, where we can use technology for good, obviously in, in the media these days, it's, you know, a lot of negativity as it should be, you know, from, you know, documentaries like the social dilemma and so forth that you know there is a lot of um ways that it's not being used for for good and we're looking for those opportunities that kind of buck that trend when you're working with a company and, and you've certainly you know the you know sesame street or melinda and bill gates right foundations you are certainly working with companies that are a little different than you know necessarily your brick and mortars always um, right. who do care about you know, perception and who do care about um, how they too are impacting the world. How is the approach different for you when you're looking at how they can develop technology, websites and apps? And what is it different versus the general normal? Or is it not? Yeah, I mean, I think so many companies you know, whether that's, it's their main objective or not, obviously have an awareness, you know, and, and sometimes it's in, in a box of like greenwashing when being environmentally friendly was, you know, a huge initiative for a lot of companies. And they just kind of had this checkbox, like, all right, we, uh, we recycle, you know, our office paper and stuff like that. Um, but I think as companies mature and as public awareness is, is becoming more keen and obviously with some of the cancel culture. I think companies are really afraid to, to make some missteps. And so they take their, um, their values seriously and, you know, where they can, you know, obviously make an impact they do. Um, but for us, it's a little easier because we go after and try to work with or attract clients that are just already doing that. And we just say, well, through the lens of technology, how can we help your initiative? So like a good example, I think would be like the Getty Foundation, which you had mentioned earlier. So, you know, we were working with their education department and they were trying to help, um, you know, disadvantaged youth tell their story through the lens of photography. And so they wanted this mobile experience. They're all carrying around these cameras that are better than, you know, the best cameras that were around, you know, 10 years ago. And so we built this really beautiful experience for, again, more of the disadvantaged youth, but to kind of broaden that horizon of like, you know, how do we tell our story through photography, through, you know, through color and light and perspective. And so it had all these wonderful skill trees and videos and tutorials and, you know, and it was a great group to work with. So yeah, that was a fun one. So when you're working with one of these companies, what's your first step? What's your first approach? Um, how do you start off the relationship? Well, we really want to understand the business objectives, you know, because we are entrepreneurs at heart, both myself and my business partner, we really just take a very um, collaborative approach, you know, so we, 
we treat our clients, you know, like our partners and like, obviously they have their domain expertise and have an idea for what this digital product is going to be. And then we just try and massage that and try and draw out like, well, what are the business objectives? How are the, the users, the, the people that are going to be on your platform, how are they going to want to interact? And so that's really important. We, we take a lot of time when we're designing and building a, a platform is to really get inside that user's head, the personas. And that's where I get to geek out from, you know, my old psychology days of you know, behavior um, and understanding the motivations and how someone's going to feel when they are interacting with your digital product. And then, so you've had this meeting, you've joined them, you're a partner to their team. Yep. Um, and then just magically a website or an app's built, right? Oh, sure. Just a snap of the fingers. No, <laughs> <laughs> a very surgical approach. Yeah. And we're, um, we've prescribed to a methodology, which is uh, commonly referred to as agile. And that just means, for those that don't know, is just getting really short, iterative pushes out so you can test the assumptions of your product. Um, that's in contrast to a, another methodology called waterfall. That's where you kind of have everything in the kitchen sink. You design it all, and then you build it all. And then you kind of put it out into the world and realize you know, half the features were something that your users never even cared about. So right. yeah, we, we really take a lean you know, agile approach, which is really great for a lot of the startups that we work with because they don't have the funds to do everything. But even if they did have all the funds, we really encourage people to, to scale down um, to that minimum viable product, which, which we call a minimum awesome product because we still want, it should be still awesome, um, but still lean enough where, you know, you can test your main functionalities and assumptions before, again, you're wasting a bunch of time and money. And that's what, you know, for our listeners, when you hear someone calls something, you know, an MVP of an app, it's just yes. the very first stages of an app before it has all the bells and whistles, but it still looks nice and it's yep. still supposed yep. to work. Absolutely. And we'll even take it a step back sometimes if companies need to raise funds, you know, before they really get out into the market is we'll, we'll build them a beautiful prototype, which, you know, it's clickable, it's on your mobile device, or it's on your desktop, and it looks like it's actually functioning, but it's just not pulling any real data or anything, which is fine sometimes when you just want to tell the story. And that would be where maybe the backend's coded instead of actually being part of a CMS or something along those lines. Or not even that, it's just design files, really, where we're stitching together like, you know, mobile screens, but the buttons, you know, you can use these they platforms work. like, yeah, like InVision or Figma. You can actually touch the buttons and it just moves to the next screen. So it looks like you're working on a real app when you're not, you're just moving between art files. And so is that something that people would use if they're fundraising and they need to have something that looks kind of pretty and nice yes. and they're in Kickstarter. Yeah. Well, it's actually a, a stage we take regardless of if we're going to move right into engineering, because it's a stage that basically goes end to end of that product. So we use that for estimating for the next phase of engineering too, because, you know, there's all these interactions. We want to make sure that we're pulling, all right, when I go from this screen to this screen and this data goes here, it's a key component of it. But sometimes people just stop with that if they do need to go raise money to go ahead and have it built, the engineering right. part. Yeah. Okay. And so what are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make when they're like, Eric, I want to make an app. I want to build a website. Where does it kind of go off the rails? It goes off the rails with just so many assumptions that go untested. You know, so I, I can, it, it kind of goes back to, let's scale back to what is an MVP? What is, what is the, the challenge or the problem that you're solving? And testing it even before we move into building or designing, like there's, 
a lot of like ideas that are out there that people think can be solved. You know, if I just had this mobile app, it would be great. And we, we encourage people like to go out in the real world with just a pen and paper and try and accomplish the same thing, whether it's like, oh, I want to build like a, a dog walking app, for example. Like if only I had a dog walking app and I could get a bunch of business, well, how many dog owners would really hand over their dogs to you? Why don't you go around and actually try and get someone to give you money to go walk right. their dog? And like technology would make that process easier, but like, is there a business for that? And so right. I think a lot of entrepreneurs just kind of, they get excited and think that it'll all be solved as long as it's just in the mobile app when, you know, there might not really be a business there. There might be too many, uh, you know, roadblocks. So either too much competition or there's not a market need for it, or there's just the main thing that's going to be the trigger is missing. Yeah, exactly. And then, so you have your own app that you've designed as well. And yes, so, yes. you know, of course, you know, you, you're the tinkerer, <laughs> you, you work on everyone else's, but you have to I tinker know. away at your own. Absolutely. Um, how has this been a different, you know, experience for you? Because it, it is different working in your own versus on a client. It is. And, you know, this is my very first product, taking it from ideation all the way through development and through, you know, launch. So yeah, it's really exciting. And, you know, it's, it kind of humbles you, you know, in terms of the, the painstaking, you know, I, you know, of getting your ideas onto, uh, you know, onto paper and in design. And then, you know, we have clients obviously that are changing their minds all the time, even when we're in development, which is the wrong time to do that. But like, I find myself doing that too, because Mm -hmm. it's different you know, once you start using it, you know, and that's the whole thing about being agile is like, just get it out there, start trying it. Cause you will come up with different ideas and ways and things don't always um, materialize the way you thought they would once you're actually out there. So, yeah. And so what does Vouch do that you're working with? Yeah. So Vouch was very much a, a scratch our own itch, you know, for my business partner and I, and we realized for lots of other people, um, it's really a, a mobile platform to allow you to keep track of recommendations that you, uh, you and I probably get every single day. And that might be for a book or a documentary or for a podcast that you have to listen to, or a new restaurant that just opened up list goes on and on. And I had all these lists, you know, these disparate lists all over. And, you know, I often give the same recommendations to people over and over again. So we decided to create this kind of, it's called Vouch Vault. And, um, you know, it's a repository basically for all the things that you actually do want to try, you know, and uh, it has a really fun discoverability as well. So you could, you don't have to know the people personally, although the whole thing is about personal recommendations and having the same taste. And if someone that I know um, has the same taste in books as I do, and they give me a, a recommendation, like, I know I'm going to love that book. So it's kind of, it solves that use case. So it's like Netflix when you're watching it and it's like 98% spot on for you. You're yes. like, you'll actually like this show. Maybe. Okay. But unlike Netflix, like, yeah, you don't really know who's rating it and, and right. all, all the challenges that are going on with Yelp and Amazon reviews of like fake reviews and paid reviews and, you know, just, uh, you know, even the negative reviews on Yelp, there's no, there's no room for any of that on Vouch. It's either things that you absolutely love and that you are vouching and putting your name behind, or that's it. You know, you're not going to give a, a one star to a poor restaurant that had an off night. It's just not, there's no room for that. And really what you're leveraging is the field of what's popular now is with nano influencers, small yeah. influencers, people who are close to you, people who might be, you know, your six degrees of separation of Kevin Bacon yeah. Um, yeah. versus trying to conquer the world of millions of people tuning in to seeing what you like and what you're recommending. 
Exactly. It's meant to be super intimate. You know, again, I think we can all attest to the power of a personal recommendation. Again, whether it's your girlfriend or your spouse or, you know, your mom, for me, like she gives me my best book recommendation. So when she says, Hey, Eric, I got one for you. I'm like, I can't wait. So it's, it's creating that kind of ability to share those recommendations with people again, that, you know, trust, or at least kind of are curious about too. Cause you know, we eventually will open this up to people, you know, thought leaders and, you know, larger, you know, influencers and even celebrities at some point. So. So, okay, you build it, you have yeah. vouched vault built, and let's just use you as the case study and, and what's going to happen. How do you, it's not just magic, you just don't go out there and all of a sudden people are coming to you because apps are a little different than websites. I mean, you don't really have the same Google SEO, you're not writing a blog and it's just showing up and getting traffic to you. You now actually have to brand and get someone to go to the app store or to Google yeah. Play yeah. and download and then once download, they actually need to stay engaged. So what are you putting in place to try to make sure that people can do that and will do that? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're actually not at market right at the recording of this. It's, you know, a few weeks out at least. Um, but yeah, you know, we have like a lot of things, a lot of ideas and a lot of assumptions. And so we're going to just go through a series of experiments of like, mm -hmm. how do we get people through there? So you mentioned like the nano and micro influencer. That's a huge you know, area that we're going to explore. And we want to make that onboarding like really, really easy. So we expect, you know, these influencers, you know, on the various channels where it's TikTok or Instagram or, you know, on Twitter and say, hey, you want to know like all my best ofs, you know, please follow me, you know, on Vouch. And then we're going to create these little micro, um, sorry, um, landing pages that'll be individualized. So it goes from, you know, their outreach to their audience and then they come right to you know their their special landing pages branded just for them and then from there they get into the app store whether it's for google or for uh, apple versus so trying to drive them straight to the app store you're trying to drive them to your own website yeah landing page so that you can capture their information have a pixel from facebook in there so yep. that you can track even though cookies are going and making things absolutely horrible and horrendous for all advertisers at the moment but you at yeah. least have that and we also want to give credit where credit's due, you know, for these um, influencers and so forth. So they can be properly credited for that. Awesome. What else are you going to do? Like, and, and maybe it's not for vouch, but typically yeah. how are you, you know, guiding your clients in the built-in app? Now what? Yeah. Well, unfortunately or unfortunately, that's usually outside of our purview. So we, you know, we have some partners that will kind of recommend people kind of to go to after they're ready. Um, for the marketplace, but, you know, just in general, obviously it's like really understanding your, your audience is the, the key of like, and not, not trying to market to everybody, even though if your product could be used by everyone kind of like a vouch, it's still a horrible way to go to market. So it's really like, who are going to be those rabid users, those rabid fans, and where are you going to find them? And then how do you, how do you incentivize them? How do you just start to appeal to, you know, whatever challenge that you're hopefully solving for them? And, you know, you just mentioned, you know, you're not going to go after everyone. So when you build an app for a brand, do you build for both iOS and, you know, for apps uh, so that it's on uh, an iPhone or and Android? Or do you just keep it into one sphere or the other right now? Yeah, I, I would say 95% of, of the apps that we build go to both iOS and Android. And, uh, you know, luckily there's been tons of development of, of frameworks and, and platforms that you can build in a single code base. And then with a few kind of like wrapper codes, you can kind of deploy to both. So you're not having to write one app for iOS and then another one exactly for Android. You can build it, you know, in a, in a hybrid um, platform. Right. Yeah. 
And then are you also seeing that typically people want a website and an app or is there oftentimes where you're just going straight and doing an app without a website integration? Yeah, I mean, it really just kind of depends on what the product is, but yeah, making a web app is kind of what we would call the companion to the mobile app usually makes sense. You know, it really depends also on, on the demographic, but for me, for anything that's going to take me more than like a couple keystrokes, I just want to do it on my desktop or on my laptop versus yeah. a, a mobile phone. And so, you know, it's, I find it frustrating sometimes if, if companies are only on mobile, because it's like, oh, I really want to just take my time and, you know, use the full keyboard and all that. So yeah, I would say most people will have a, a web app that's associated with their mobile app. But, you know, like Instagram doesn't really have, they have it, but it's not very functional. They wanted to really drive people to their mobile device and kind of keep the main interactions there. So that's been interesting. Even TikTok, you know, when TikTok first came out after, you know, their purchase of Musically, yep. Um, yep. they didn't really have a website experience. And they've slowly been opening that up that I keep on discovering little new things that they add to it, sure. where you can actually, you know, and they're doing some really smart marketing things. I know this is not your uh, whole bell and whistles of what you do, but like TikTok, every time I'm on Yahoo and I'm going through my feed, they're highlighting like different videos, right? And then they're having, they're paying Yahoo editors and writers to create a story about, oh, the TikTok sensation story of the day. Mm -hmm. And they're then pushing that out with a guaranteed CPM of eyeballs and views and who's going to see it. But when you click that, it doesn't that, if you're reading it in the real world of website versus on your mobile phone, you still have the ability, and I'm pretty sure they decided to do this one of the because of their marketing of how they market. Yeah. Um, it goes, it takes you to a pop-up page that you can actually see the video and dive into it and actually experience it. And I don't think they had that about a year ago. It's something that happened during COVID that they okay. pulled out. So it's like this mobile app experience, but built, I'm pretty sure, for marketing. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, there are still you know, as generations get older, right, in a sense, like they, they want to get off their mobile devices, I think more and yeah. more. So it's like, yeah, let's, let's see what we can do to appeal to that market, which, yeah, sounds like they're doing. Yeah. And they're, they're touting the fact that they're not just for kids now. So I think that might yeah, be, I think you're actually right. Older yep. eyeball yep. types of ways that they're able to engage and be like, look, this is a cool thing. Maybe you'll like it enough to now dive into our app. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. What are other mistakes people make with app designing? Uh, what are some other mistakes? I think sometimes just the the timelines of of what is realistic. So I think um, rushing, you know, to to get something out is is really just you know a, a bad idea. There's a, a saying that I'm probably going to butcher, but it goes along something like there's there's never enough time to do something right, but there's always enough or never enough time or money, but there's always enough time or money to do it over. And that's like, you know, when you do something poorly the first time and you have to redo it, if you could have just slowed down and done it right the first time, you would have been better off. And so. probably, I mean, you're saving potentially double the amount of money. Exactly. Yeah. But at that time, it's like, nope, it's got to be done by X and it's got to cost no more than Y. And when that doesn't work out, somehow the money and time finds itself, you know, and it's a painful right. lesson. So I think slowing down and understanding really what you're wanting to do. Um, one thing that we take an extraordinary amount of time doing is that UX phase, the user experience design. I mean, before a, a line of code is ever written, we know exactly, you know, obviously what that end to end experience is going to be. And so you refine that 
then obviously what you're going to build is going to be really spot on and doing, doing some early research and, and you know, having user testing and feedback during that UX phase is pretty crucial. Yeah, we uh, I got some very first person uh, experience uh, up and close of exactly having had that happen where an app was designed without any user experience planning whatsoever and just some brainstorming. And then the back end didn't work with the front end and it didn't do the different things. And so yeah. when a new app company had to be brought in to now, you know, hopefully keep the back end but change the front end. It's just a nightmare of undialing things and figuring it out and rebuilding. Yeah, I, I literally just got off a call before we, we popped on of, of a company that worked worked with another firm and they, yeah, they did no ideation of the designs and they're just in a complete mess and they're trying to have us come in and unscramble it for them and you could just see the the angst and just desperation. So it's it happens if you don't plan, you know, it's like building a house without having, you know, your blueprints done. It'd be insanity to do that. So, well, as someone who is working on building part of our house right now, you sit there and you think, oh my God, I've spent 20,000, 30,000, however much money you yeah. have in your blueprints, right? And you're like, all I have, and trust me, I have literally stacks of blueprints that my husband and I just look at and we're like, and we haven't even broken ground. But, yep. <laughs> you know, one of the biggest things I hear from brands and marketers is that there's resistance in that UX design phase because they don't understand why those tens of thousands of dollars potentially yeah. need to actually be spent instead of just being like, yeah, I have my napkin drawing. I know that this is what I want. Yeah. And this is kind of the over you know, view of it. Go to town. Yeah, it, it is. It's it's a step that people don't even know really exists until they're introduced to it and and the importance of it. So we do a lot of educating, and you know, a lot of our content that we've been putting out recently is really about educating, and we use a building analogy every single day. I mean, you'll hear me talk about, you know how many bedrooms is your house? When, when I get asked, well, how much does it cost to build a mobile app? I say, well, how much does it cost to build a house? And it really just, it depends, right? <laughs> what are we doing? What are the materials? How many bedrooms? You know, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's analogous to software. So it works. When you have potential marketers, you know, coming to you, brand owners coming to you and they want to build an app. Yeah. What are the primary questions they're looking for to have reassurance that the company they're hiring is the one they should go with? Like, what should they be looking for in a company in general? I think they should be looking for companies that obviously have some sort of a reputation out there that have, you know, done this before. So certainly checking references is still a very good practice. Looking at, you know, work samples, of course, is another. And I think more than anything, having a great transparency and feeling that from that, um, from that agency is really important because it's an esoteric weird thing if you've never done software before. And even if everything goes perfectly as planned, like there's still going to be hiccups, just like again, to, in building, you know, you wanted a new pool and you didn't realize there was a boulder that was, you know, 20 feet down below. No one could have known that. And that happens a lot in software, especially when there's dependencies on third parties and integrations and, you know, it's not a perfect science. So what I think is super important is having really great project management. And along with that is transparency. So like as we're moving down the build and the client is seeing what's going on and, is given a heads up when, oh shoot, we just found out there's a boulder right where we were planning on digging. What do we do? Here are your four options, you know? And so allowing them to be um, involved in those decisions and, you know, being warned early if something is going to get pushed out and, and having a good reason, 
you know, behind it. It's a lot easier to say, hey, your, your, thing, your project got delayed two weeks because of this boulder versus just like finding out two weeks late that it's not done yet. So, right. And it's I not going to be able to be done yet because yeah. there's a boulder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that transparency and, and making sure that that agency you know, has the processes in order to be transparent. So, yeah. And then when you're building apps, are you focused on everything must be built from scratch? I, you know, our team is going to build everything turnkey or do you look at and leverage third party software and systems that you can bring in to make things that are faster? And I'm sure there's benefits to both. Yeah, we leverage outside stuff for everything, even design ideas, you know, cause why, why reinvent the wheel? If, you know, again, I'll use Instagram as an example, if they've spent, you know, millions of dollars refining that flow, right. What, and someone has a similar use case, like why wouldn't we, you know, borrow some of those interaction patterns? That would be silly not to. So from design through some of the um, more features, we, yes, we we will often look to leverage a third party just because it's so much more cost effective to do so. Now, if companies are hell bent on owning every single piece of that platform and not having dependencies, which might ha- make sense, um, mm-hmm. we will do that. And you know, obviously, th- those are fun to do. But now we usually look for something that we can get out the gates quickly and without you know too much work involved. I would think that. You would, and after going through this myself, that it would be better to use third parties and build the app and then know that you could later on when the app is successful and you're making money, go back and custom build out what you want to actually own so that you can free yourself. Exactly. Yeah, that's the exact approach. Just get it out there in the wild. Again, that's, that's just like agile, like get it out there and use this third party. It might not be exactly what you want, but does it do what you need? Sure. And then, yes, you can always go back and refine and, and build it custom, so. It's amazing how software, even though it looks so expensive, when you actually start putting in the man hours of having to build that software on top of whatever you're already building, it gets really expensive very, very quickly to get that customization. It does. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think even just like the, the average user, you know, not anyone in software, like, you know, we get all these mobile apps for free. Right. And uh, I think it really skews obviously like the amount of work that's involved. So it's, you know, yeah, there's a lot going on, especially if you're going to be building custom things. So, so Eric, how can our listeners learn more about you or reach out and get in touch? Yeah, they can visit our, our website, which is uh, spark6.com. It's S-P-A-R-K and then the number 6.com. And uh, yeah, I'm Eric at spark6.com and would love to hear from anybody out there. That's easy enough. Well, any last words of parting advice to our listeners today? Yeah, just go after it. You know, like we're all going to stub our toes as entrepreneurs and putting stuff out there. So like, you know, you're going to hear a lot of negativity and get punched in the face a few times. But I mean, that's what it's about. It's all journey and fun and learning and, you know, just just do good out there. And also probably keep in mind that not every company has to have an app where sometimes a website's enough. Oh, yeah. If I uh, honestly, I'd be a rich man if I had a dollar for every time we've talked people out of building mobile apps, especially my business partner who has a a special panache for doing that, but no, yeah. Mobile apps are not for every, everybody. And yeah, I mean, it's, that home screen space is so precious and yes, yeah, so much can be accomplished as a web app that you build and design for mobile, but it's not a native. So a lot of different ways to skin that cat. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciated your time and your insights. Oh, it was my pleasure. Stacey. appreciate you having me. Of course. And to our listeners, Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I look forward to chatting with you this next week. Have a great day.